Welcome to On Conscious. This is episode 11, Yoga Medicine, an interview with Dana Diamant. Welcome to On Conscious. I'm your host, Liz Cook, functional nutritionist and founder of One Seed Organic Perfumes. In today's episode, we're talking with Dana Diamant, yoga teacher and teacher trainer with a strong interest in anatomy and physiology and a background in dance and yoga medicine. Dana creates personalized, tailored yoga programs that are functional and purposeful and fit in with her clients' lifestyle and health challenges. Sometimes, you know, I think that the common person doesn't necessarily have the words to be able to explain what's going on inside of themselves. And then that makes it hard to talk to a doctor about what might be going on with you. And the process through working with a yoga teacher or just going to a yoga class, you start to really spend a lot of time within your body and and begin to understand and, and find words to explain what's going on. Dana grew up in New York and now lives in beautiful Byron Bay. Let's jump in and talk with Dana. Welcome, Dana. Thanks for having me, Liz. Oh, such a pleasure. I, I'm so looking forward to this conversation today. There's so much that we can talk about because, as you know, I wish I was a yoga lover, <laughs> but I'm not yet. But I'm convinced that at the end of this, end of this conversation, you're going to change my mind about that. Let's start talking a bit about how you came into yoga. You were a dancer in your youth and you first started practicing yoga at 12 years old, as I understand. Mm-hmm. How did yoga become such a big part of your life and how much influence did your background in dance have as to the style of yoga that you eventually found a passion for in yoga medicine? So I first came upon dance, um, sorry, I first came upon yoga through dance. My dance teacher would take us on these summer camps, just these little week-long things. And uh, I I was actually really young at these camps. I was 12 and, and most of the women there were 18 or older. Um, and we, we had to do yoga. And at first, I actually really didn't like yoga as a 12 year old. Um, I, because I love dancing, you know, I, I just like to take up a lot of space. So I found it quite, <laughs> quite constricting to have to be yeah. on this mat. Um, but you know, it, it seemed cool, because these old, you know, these ladies that were, you know, 18, 20, I was like, I want to be like you. So it seemed cool. Yeah. So I wanted to get into it. And then yoga came back around when I was in high school. We had the opportunity to do yoga instead of um, traditional gym classes. And I I wasn't very sporty. So to me, yoga at that point seemed like just the best opportunity to get to skip out on, you know, playing basketball and things like that. Um, So yoga as part of the um, education process at school, yoga as a subject? Yeah, yoga was a subject. Yeah, so you could, you know, play – I went to school in America, so you could play baseball or basketball or track and field. You could do that as your gym or you could do yoga. That's amazing. It was amazing. And I that's when I really fell in love with it because um, by that point as a teenager, um, you know, I think like all teenagers, you, you're just confused as to who you are and where do you belong and yeah. trying to navigate through a high school environment. And yoga was this 40 minutes in my day where I didn't have to think about any of that. And I could just breathe. And because I was a dancer, I was naturally good at, you know, the stretching, which we do a lot of in yoga. So I felt like I was just in this place where I could just be me. Mm. 
And that really is the the thread that kept weaving in and out of um, my life and my journey with yoga. So from high school, I I kind of dabbled with yoga until my mid twenties, and I. I went and did a couple of ski seasons in Whistler, Canada. Oh, yay. My, part, my neck of the woods. Oh. I'm from Vancouver originally, and I've, I just went to Whistler a couple of years back. So I'm picturing it in my head. Oh, perfect. <laughs> I love it. Um, I was wondering about your accent, actually. Yeah, it's a weird one. Yeah, like <laughs> mine. Mine is a bit weird these days, too. Um, so anyway, I, I moved back to New York City after doing two seasons and suddenly I couldn't touch my toes anymore, which was a very bizarre wow. feeling for me, um, having been very flexible my whole life up to that point. Um, and I was just, again, kind of back in this place similar to high school. Where I was like, who am I and what am I doing? And I was 26 and just really unsure of what the next step was. Uh, And there was a yoga studio just on the corner from where I lived and I was unemployed. So I just went to yoga every day, mainly because I wanted to touch my toes again. (laughs) And I had some amazing teachers there and it became a way of gaining confidence again in myself. Um, Mm -hmm. I had recently been divorced too. So I got married quite young and that didn't really work out. Uh, and Whistler was a way of forgetting all of that and then coming back to this life that I had previously had in New York City, feeling just lost within myself and, and really unsure and doubting a lot. I don't know, these these poses of yoga and the process of going and seeing progress and spending this, again, this quiet time with myself, which was the same that I found in high school, this this quiet time to just kind of sort through my crap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And that's really when yoga took a permanent hold and became a a, a very um, constant thing in my life. Yeah. So yoga, essentially what you're saying is yoga helped you redefine or find yourself. Absolutely. Yes. Um, Yeah, that's quite amazing. Yeah. And, you know, the, the physical benefits were great and I felt really great in my body from going to yoga quite regularly, but the, the mental and the emotional benefits that I got from yoga is really what got me hooked on the practice. Yeah. So from there, I ended up moving to Australia a little shortly after that, a few months after that, uh, I had moved back to New York City and continue again, I was in a new place and I didn't really know anyone. And so yoga was just this, this place where I, I could always feel like I could be me. And it also allowed me to connect into a community in, a, in Sydney where I didn't really know very many people. So it, it felt like home, even though I was in this new place, going to a yoga studio and becoming part of a community. And uh, I ended up becoming a teacher um, a few years later. And after becoming a teacher, I actually started to get some injuries in my body. And at that, around that time, I also met Tiffany Cruikshank, who became my main yoga teacher, um, who started yoga medicine. And she helped me with, through a lot of my injuries or um what I learned with studying studying with her helped me to deal with a lot of the, the injuries that I had, which was not just as a result of yoga. I'd also been working as a graphic designer. So I was commuting a lot. I was sitting in a chair, um, poor posture, compounded with doing some pretty hardcore yoga at the time, led me to a place where I was not feeling so great in my body. And I didn't want to stop doing yoga because I I loved yoga, obviously, at that point, and I had become a teacher. And so this is where my passion came in um, 
for what yoga medicine is about in this way of being able to do yoga that is the yoga that my body needs. I'm really fascinated with the term yoga medicine. For me, it's it sounds like two opposite ends of the health spectrum. Mm-hmm. So I'm quite interested at how these terms meld, and I, I can't wait to talk to you more about what that is. Um, as a nutritionist, the idea really appeals to me as well because you know any sort of healing modality um, in which we see whether it's food or lifestyle modification as healing is really, really appealing to me. Can you talk to me about yoga medicine and how it differs from other yoga disciplines? Sure. So yoga medicine is not a discipline of yoga. It is a um, educational system primarily. So yoga medicine sets out to provide uh, teacher training for teachers to understand better the the human body, essentially. So, you know, things like our musculoskeletal system, so our muscles and our bones, but also our nervous system, mental health, you know, the understanding the brain and the mind and, and understanding how all of these systems really interrelate together. So there's a big focus on Western science and Western medicine. Um, and then there's a focus on the traditional aspects of yoga too. So the poses and the meditation and the breathing techniques. So you actually study several disciplines um, as you as you go through this training system. So you learn you know, the more popular style of yoga, which is vinyasa, but you also learn about the yin style and restorative yoga and um, more therapeutic type of exercises specifically to help with um, joints and, and getting muscles to turn on well. And so it trains you. So yoga medicine really trains you to look holistically at a person. Mm-hmm. And as they, they come to you, it, it's primarily designed for you to work one-on-one with people. So yeah. you are, you also learn a whole system on how to do an intake. So if somebody comes and says to me, I have this lower back problem. I actually have some training in in being able to pull out the information from them that I need in order to then design a little program that's just for them. That's great. So you're trained as a practitioner as such, as a yoga practitioner. Um, I'm just thinking of my training as a nutritionist. Mm -hmm. A lot of it is about doing a deeper dive into the patient's or client's history and understanding exactly what they need as opposed to just, you know, slapping them with a bunch of nutrients or common lifestyle uh, approaches or changes. So are you saying that yoga medicine does a similar thing where it's it's tailored, it's customized, and it's doing a deeper dive and a holistic look at what the client needs? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. the tailored is a really great word. As yoga teachers, we're not um, health care providers. So we never di- we're not supposed to diagnose. And we're also not supposed to, to really use words like patients, you know, because yeah. we're not people's doctors or chiropractors or, or, you know, we haven't gone through that kind of rigorous training or certification. So usually, um, but, but similar to what you're saying, like as a nutritionist, there is that when somebody comes and wants a personalized yoga program for a specific concern, then we do that deeper dive and we try to, to look at, okay, well, how is your body functioning today? And I try to look at how can I support greater functioning in your body and teach you also these tools of awareness and um, 
But we look not just at the physical side, but I also ask, you know, how's your sleep and how's your stress level? So you, you get this, this picture of, of the person so that you can create a customized program for them. Yeah, I love that. I love the idea that yoga medicine is designed to integrate into the uh, patient or client or I know you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to use that word but let's say for me as a practitioner or for a doctor who had a who had a patient yes. I love the idea that yoga medicine integrates into the patient's healthcare team and that you would work in conjunction with other modalities and healthcare professionals including doctors which to me is kind of a paradox mm. um, do you think this approach opens up yoga to a different demographic and perhaps to a more mainstream um, client or more mainstream system of healthcare? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, it's the idea with yoga medicine is that as a yoga teacher, you are equipped to have conversations with doctors if need be. It's it's not so much that yoga medicine, you know, goes and pairs you out with doctors or anything. Yeah. Um, but that that you're that you feel equipped to have conversations. And I think one of the more beautiful parts, and this is a little separate to your question, but one of the more beautiful parts about um being able to have these conversations and to understand some of the the medical side of what might be happening with people is that you, you know, I'm not a doctor. I'm, I, I think of myself as just a regular person and you can sometimes, you know, doctors don't quite have the same kind of like bedside manner. Let's just use that term. Yeah. Whereas a yoga teacher you do and you can, and you can help be this bridge almost. And, and also, Sometimes, you know, I think that the common person doesn't necessarily have the words to be able to explain what's going on inside of themselves. And then that makes it hard to talk to a doctor about what might be going on with you. And the process through working with a yoga teacher or just going to a yoga class, you start to really spend a lot of time within your body and and begin to understand and, and find words to explain what's going on. Yeah. And I that's think, really empowering, isn't it? Oh, it's incredibly empowering. And I I think that part of it is also what makes yoga appealing to a more mainstream um audience is that sense of being able to understand what's going on within yourself so that you can you can use that knowledge then to improve your well-being. Yeah, and I think that is the key for people improving their well-being as well. I think we're really starting to understand that we have to get away from a system of uh, go to the doctor or whoever the healthcare practitioner is, get a script or some advice and go away and, you know, just do the advice. I think we're working more towards a model that says the client needs to really take their own healthcare into their hands, understand their body more, understand the symptoms, the side effects, the different lifestyle factors that impact them and so on. And what you're saying with yoga medicine is it allows them to find, you're saying words, but also to find, I guess, instinct within themselves to say, these are the things that are comfortable. And now I'm noticing a pain in this region, which they may have presumed to be generalized pain before, but maybe now it feels like it's in a specific joint or it's only on this particular day when I do this particular activity. So that to me is a really progressive model of health, which I think works in so well with the new way that medicine is slowly going and certainly natural medicine. But I think even Western medicine is slowly, slowly, slowly Mm -hmm. heading in that direction, which is really good. Yeah, and I think everything you said is is completely accurate. I would just 
say that that all of yoga not not necessarily you don't have to be yoga medicine trained for for to work with people in that way and you don't have to necessarily work with a yoga medicine teacher I think all of yoga has the potential to create that kind of empowerment and awareness um, Mm, and and connection connection yeah and Mm. that at the heart of yoga that's what it's all about it's um the word yoga itself uh comes from a Sanskrit word, yug, Y-U-G, and it can mean um, union and it also means relationship. So Mm -hmm. that's really what's at the heart of yoga, that sense of being able to create union within yourself or relationship between, you know, say your mind and your body as one example. Yeah, beautiful. Let's get really practical. I want to talk to you about some of the things that you've seen with maybe some of the more common illnesses or conditions that really benefit from yoga um, and maybe specifically from yoga medicine as, um, you know, in in that sort of way of thinking or from yoga generally. Um, And also what other modalities have you noticed will complement the treatment of these particular uh, conditions? Uh, Well, probably the most uh, relevant illness or, or, or thing to talk about at the moment is the immune system um, and the illnesses that come, come about as a result of the compromised immune system. And there's a bit going on at the moment looking at psychological stress and how that can impact your immune system negatively. Yoga helps very much to reduce stress, which can then help to bolster the immune system. So, um, you know, I've seen that in myself quite a bit. And and I see that in in a lot of my clients who are really stressed, they tend to get sick more often. Mm -hmm. And I think related to the the stress then comes, you know, the broad spectrum of mental health that um, issues or disorders that we see, whether that's anxiety or depression or addiction, you know, and there's, there's obviously a lot more than that. And I think, I think so many people who are, you know, really into yoga would say that yoga helps them tremendously with, with those kinds of things. Um, for the last year and a half, I've been working with, um, several people who are dealing, battling with addiction issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that, um, I think yoga helps them to feel one, a sense of control within themselves and two, an opportunity to feel safe within their body or within their mind so that they don't have to numb in other ways. Yeah. And yeah, I think in in that way, yoga can be really massive. I just want to extend on that a little bit. It's, it's brought to mind, uh, let's say a client who might have really high anxiety mm-hmm. and often these clients can you know typically not want to sit still or not do things that are quiet and reflective they have this um, really heightened sense of flight or fright yeah and they feel the need to go 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 all the time how do you work with a client in that sort of a situation who won't be able to necessarily sit still or sit quietly or you know do the necessary practice for the particular length of time especially in the beginning yeah so part I think with those clients it's about getting them moving in a way that is you know like a moving meditation so that you can get them moving with their breath the breath component to yoga is 
is the part that really gets the parasympathetic nervous system effects. So that diaphragmatic breathing that we do um, in yoga and pairing that with gentle movement or or even vigorous movement just depends on the person really. But I think um, you're absolutely right that for many of those people that those first few minutes of maybe a traditional class where you're, you're lying down or you're sitting and you're, and even closing your eyes can be triggering when yeah. there's a lot of anxiety going on. So being able to, to get them just into the practice, into the more moving practice and, and get them doing poses and linking that with their breath, you know? Mm-hmm. So we're essentially trying to stimulate that the vagus nerve to get into that parasympathetic mode and um, help them in that way. Is there a benefit to short bursts of yoga if you're somebody who finds it hard to engage initially with this process? Is there a benefit to doing, let's say, uh, initially a five or 10 minute yoga practice as opposed to doing a half hour or hour class? In my, from my perspective, absolutely. I think my approach to yoga really is let's do a little bit of it every day or every other day um, rather than an hour once a week. It's the, you know, the repetition and, and keep to keep coming back and creating this feeling. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of uh, I like reading a lot about habit formation um, and I'm a big fan of James Clear and, and he's written a book about um, habit formation and he says, you know, start even with just two minutes because two minutes is a small amount of time that you can commit to. And it's not like a scary amount of time. You know, everybody has two minutes. And yeah. and in that two minutes, you you can feel good, you know, even if it's just two minutes of breathing or two minutes of, of a pose. And then you slowly start to feel really good and you start to crave those two minutes. And that two minutes can then begin to lengthen out into mm-hmm. a longer practice. What I've seen in, in my... Um, more therapeutic practice working with clients is that when I can get them to do, yeah, you know, three days a week, five minutes or 20 minutes is going to be way better than just that one hour a week yoga class. Yeah. So it's the, it's the repetition and the frequency and the habit forming. That's the important part, especially beginning. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What are some of the benefits of yoga that we don't really hear about? I think yoga has a little bit of a PR problem in that it's been marketed as kind of this fast paced workout and uh, many people have come to it or or think about it as exercise. But I think the benefits um, and there's nothing wrong with that. And and I've been through that place myself where I I loved that part of yoga um, and getting that kind of yoga high through that more vigorous style. But um, I think as I get older as well, and since becoming a mom and, and running a business and all these things is the, the benefits to the nervous system, like we just spoke about getting out of that sympathetic response, getting out of that f- fight, fight, flight or freeze and being able to get more into that parasympathetic. I mean, that if you have what we call good tone between your sympathetic and parasympathetic, where your body can switch back and forth, um, like as easy as turning a light switch on and off, then you're going to start to see all these great benefits to your sleep, to your digestion, you know, the racing thoughts stop. Um, you're, you're a nicer person, you have more time, you feel like you can slow down and, and be more mindful of what you say to other people. Yoga also has an effect on hormones and on your genes. You know, I think that's a really big one now too. Is that's massive? Yeah, because epigenetics is such a big field of exploration right now. So it's about gene expression. Yes, absolutely. That's amazing. 
So um, <laughs> I interrupted you with my exclamation mark. <laughs> oh no, that's okay. I love it. It's all the um, it's all welcome. So where was I? You know, and you were saying about gene expression. Yeah, the gene expression um, and the anti aging as well. You know, the, the there's a lot of studies on on all these topics, and I I don't really know them all off the top of my head, but it all comes back to basically this relaxation response um, mm-hmm. and being able to induce that in the body, you know, lowering the heart rate, lowering the respiratory rate, lowering blood pressure, um, the oxygen that we take in as well, and also the increase in brain alpha waves. All of this is going to be part of what they call the relaxation response that helps get us into that parasympathetic nervous system and bring about some of these. um, You know, I think the benefits are like, it's not as tangible you don't finish your practice and and then be able to necessarily feel like those benefits are are tangible it's something that has to build over time and that's where I think then your your previous question comes back around to this and that you know being able to commit to a shorter practice even if it's two minutes ten minutes in order for those benefits to start to come in over time yeah you mentioned something before about oxygen. I think this is something that people forget and we assume that we're taking in adequate amounts of oxygen because we're breathing and we're still upright. But but we most of us shallow breathe all the time. So mm-hmm. I think you've um, clicked into something interesting there because it's the practice of focusing on your breath and inhaling in a certain way to maximize oxygenation, which will have a huge effect on so many aspects of our brain and of our body and as you say even of aging as well and just on a modern day note with people a lot of people still wearing masks with COVID-19 as well we don't realize even that reduces our oxygen supply to our body as well so never has it been a more important time to oxygenate so yeah that's probably a really key area that people forget we don't breathe well enough on a day-to-day basis yeah and you know I think any good yoga practice or, or yoga teacher will include that focus of the breath in the practice. And essentially what we're trying to do on a real practical sense is just increase the space of the thoracic cavity. So I'm just trying to, to create space between my ribs so that my lungs have more room to expand. And if they have more room to expand, then they can draw in more oxygen and it's just a matter of slowing down to to actually feel can my you know can my ribs I, uh, one of my teachers compares it to having a balloon inside your rib cage and can you feel that balloon expanding evenly you know um, mm-hmm. a lot of us tend to like you said do more of this sort of shallow chest breathing but yeah. we want to be able to feel the belly expand and to feel the ribs almost like wings kind of expand out to the side and then also fill up the back of the body with the breath too. I want to ask you a question out of left field that's just come to mind because as you're speaking, and I, by the way, I love it when you get practical. <laughs> <laughs> I, knew, I knew you would. <laughs> <laughs> gives me tingles. Um, but as you're talking, I'm, of course, like probably everybody listening, I'm automatically starting to fill up my lungs and expand my abdomen and try and get more more oxygen in but what I've noticed is when I uh, especially if I'm going through periods of high stress or a bit of anxiety and I do focus more on my breathing I notice that I then have more of a compulsion to 
um, breathe deeper, more frequently. I'm not sure if I'm explaining this well, but for example, if I say to myself, okay, I need to just sit here and breathe three or four times, expand my abdomen, you know, get, get the oxygen into my lungs, I'll notice that for days after, I just have the intrinsic need to keep doing that. What is that response? Um, I've totally thrown you under the no. bus. No. I may not know the answer to this, but it's it's got me curious because it then becomes something that I feel like my body almost needs to do um, or I don't feel good. And it only happens if I've tried this practice for one or two days, I might have the following three days mm-hmm. just this compulsive need to stop and take in more oxygen. I think it would just be connected to everything we've been talking about, that sense of the body enjoying being in that parasympathetic mode and having that sense of relaxation through the body or, you know, all the benefits of of having more oxygen there and whether it's the clarity that comes, you know, to the mind or that moment of pause and and that sense of emptying out that happens too on the exhale after Mm, you take a a breath like that. Mm -hmm. I just think your body's like, hey, this is really good. Give more me more of, of this, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So interesting. So I don't have an extremely scientific explanation for that one, but I think yeah. it's more of a, just thinking about it more common sense wise, your body is enjoying all those, you know, benefits and wants more. Yeah. And it's asking me, why are you stopping? That was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I understand that you work a lot with men around the 30, 35 to 55 age group. Um, very mainstream, very stressed out men, and typically they're anti-yoga. Um, when we spoke earlier, you told me that the words self-care usually make them run for the hills and that they think of yoga as the stereotypical woo-woo, you know, placing crystals and metaphysical sort of stuff. How do you successfully work with these clients and what are the aspects of the way you approach yoga and the treatment with these people that really connects with them? Um, yeah, I love this question. And I think um, I was actually speaking to, to one of my um, male clients about this just yesterday because um, we've started working together recently and he's a, also a triathlete and in this age group and highly stressed corp- mm. has, you know, corporate finance job. And, and he, yeah. he says to me all the time, he's like, I, I didn't know this could be yoga. And yeah. I think it's about the approach is First of all, like we we spoke about, is is doing this kind of intake process. So within that process of saying, okay, well, why why are you here? You know, essentially, what what do you want to get out of this, or like what do you want to change in your life? And as a teacher or a practitioner, you're you know you have to be able to motivate people through basically reflecting back what they say, what they say to you. So I think once they realize, oh, like yoga can help me sleep better. Um, yoga can help me feel better in my body, uh, you know, after I sit in a chair all day, or if I'm, you know, <laughs> once, you know, commuting a lot, traveling airplanes, cars that we used to do. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> remember that? Remember that? Um, and so the approach with, with people who, you know, I'm kind of doing air quotes right now, anti yoga, or just think that yoga isn't for them, it's really just about kind of showing them a side to yoga that is going to give them the benefits that they're looking for. I mean, essentially I'm just a salesperson. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And so it's also about just making things really practical. So it's saying, okay, well, we're going to do this four count breath. You're going to inhale for four. You're going to hold for four. You're going to exhale for four and you're going to hold for four as just one example. 
and saying these are, these are the steps and what this is accomplishing is slowing down, you know, slowing down your heart rate. It's going to get more oxygen through your body. It's going to um, stimulate your vagus nerve, which is going to help your body deal better with chronic stress. And so being a little bit more uh, fact based yeah. and scientific with them, I find helps a lot. And yep. the other part of this, and, and this is what I was speaking with my client with just yesterday is um, I think the creativity and the fast paced style of yoga that we see in something like a vinyasa, which is the most you know, the flow, the fast flow classes that are very popular, mm -hmm. those classes can be hard to follow along if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. And also if you don't have the flexibility to easily get in and out of those poses um, yeah. can be challenging. So it's, it's really just making it um, easy to follow along, you know, and, and make, and teaching them yoga in a way that it's kind of like, you know, okay, we're going to do this now. Okay, great. We finished that. Now we're going to do this next pose. Okay, we finished that. Now we're and and just giving it to them a little bit more matter of fact. Um, and and it's not saying that all men. I don't want to stereotype and generalize all men, but um, I have found that uh, with someone with someone, you know, these guys that are that are highly stressed, there isn't that capacity in the brain to follow a complicated sequence. Yeah. So yeah. just breaking it down and making it very simple and accessible is uh, really helpful. The other thing that comes to mind as well, and I don't fall exactly into that category, and A, I'm not a man, but B, I'm not super highly stressed either. But I think of um, myself included in this because I do find sometimes it's hard to follow along in a yoga class because of, you know, stress levels or other things on my brain. But the other thing that comes to mind is competitiveness. So when I, when I see the yoga teacher say, here's the two options or the three options, if you're super flexible or if you're amazing, you can do this one. But for you people who don't know what you're doing, do this one. I'm like, I'm up the front. I want to do the super amazing one. And if I can't, I find it so disheartening. And then I kind of like, I don't, I don't even want to come back to this class because now I'm not amazing. So I don't know if there's an element of that as well, where people who are so highly motivated and so highly driven and perhaps at the top of their class, like, like your client who's a triathlete or, you know, high-flying businessman or whatever, they want to be at the top of the class. So it can be disheartening when they can't compete with people who are, you know, further advanced or more flexible or better at coordinating or whatever it is. Is that is that an aspect of it as well? A hundred percent. Yeah, I, I think so. I think that's uh, would describe a lot of people, whether you're yeah. highly strung or not, and whether you're a man or a woman or whatever gender that yeah. you relate to um, or none. Um, so yeah, and you know, yoga, the, one of the key components of the philosophical side of yoga is actually an attitude of non-striving. So mm -hmm. I think for a competitive person, um, as you come into yoga, that can be really confronting, you know, to be told. It's confronting for me to hear you say that. <laughs> like something in my my body responds to that viscerally. It's like, yes, that's where I have a problem. That's why I find it hard. <laughs> I completely get it. I totally understand. I think it's a very natural, you know, we're conditioned, I think, too, to just do, you know, be the best you can, do the best. Um, yeah. And a lot of, for a lot of people, that means also be better than the person next to you. So, yeah. so to kind of get into the philosophical side of this, you know, yoga is intended. Um, when you look at, at it philosophically, it's actually a, a tool to help us uh, eliminate suffering um, in our lives. You know, 
whether that's physical or, or, or most of the time mental, you know, it's, mm. it's a way out of suffering. And that part of us that is competitive obviously has some great benefits and allows us to be successful in our life. And it can be really fun as well. And, um, but it can also be a source of suffering. And as you say, that sense of feeling disheartened or to feel like you're not good enough. And then everything that comes along with that as your mind goes down that kind of rabbit hole. So mm. I think, you know, there's in yoga, there's a, something called the yamas and niyamas. And this is in the more traditional side of yoga. And it's actually uh, ways to live your life. And it, and in this, there's a few different systems of yoga, but in this one system is called the eight limbed system. The first two limbs before you even start doing poses is to actually look at these codes, these ways to live by. And um, one of the biggest ones is non-striving mm-hmm. and, and non-judgmental as well. And, and so the poses also come back around to then become these environments in which we can practice these aspects. Because ultimately, right, this, this system is designed to help us not suffer as much or to find yeah. peace. Um, so that's what I love about yoga is it's like this is this circuitous uh, pathway to it where you then get asked to really look inside and be like, okay, well, why am I like this? Why do I have to be the best, you know, and is that serving me well? Or um, is there another way to be? And it's an opportunity for learning then, I guess, for people who who do struggle with that aspect. Um, Okay, it's challenging to not be competitive, but here's an opportunity for learning because we can't be that in every aspect of our life, like in our relationship with our partners or our kids, or there's many areas where being competitive doesn't serve us or the people around us. So this is an opportunity then to learn to engage and embrace that side of us, I guess, and extend on it. And what you just said there, I think is really like the jewel of yoga is those moments. I actually have goosebumps right now. Those moments where you're in a pose and you get that kind of insight or you walk away from class and you have that, oh, wow, I've been really trying to one up my partner and that's yeah. not actually working for us. You know, that's making us really unhappy. Yeah. Um, th- those little bits of insight. And like we said earlier, that bit of instinct, that is really the heart of yoga. It's like, that mm-hmm. is that understanding, that connection, that union of like, oh, you know, those moments. So, um, then that's why I practice yoga. Yeah. One of the issues I've had with yoga myself are to do with long-term back injury that I had from my days as a gymnast, mm-hmm. which is a long time ago, but, <laughs> but I still love it and I still bear the injuries to prove it. Um, I'd love to be able to do some of the poses that require me to bend backward, but that would be a massive disaster for my body. And I've noticed that with the yoga classes I've done anyway, the focus on lower back issues is more to do with people who have issues with flexibility or muscular issues, as opposed to musculoskeletal injuries. How do you approach working with clients like me? And is it possible for someone with lower back injuries to develop the ability to do some of the more tricky yoga poses like handstands, or that's totally self-indulgent, but let's say even some of the, the bending backwards poses or some of the things that may require more lower back strength or better structural integrity? Yeah. Um, so 
We spoke earlier about your injury um, yeah. and or condition, I would say, um, the spondylolisthesis where you have that forward slipping vertebra. Mm-hmm. And that's a structural issue that's not going to change. So that yeah. it comes back to the what we just talked about, right? That sense of, okay, we have to accept the things that we cannot change. Yep. Um, and probably I would say you're not going to love back, those deep back bends because your spine isn't designed to um, really facilitate that kind of range of motion. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, a lot, that does show up quite a bit in yoga. So it makes sense to me that like you go into a group class um, where back bends have, a, you know, they take up a, a nice chunk of class towards the end can be quite frustrating because they're not poses that necessarily you would love. But there are some more gentle backbends that would work for you. Um, I actually had a client a few years back with spondylolisthesis. And when she came to me, she she had so much chronic pain and she was she felt very defeated. And it was hard for her even, you know, we, we live um, in the Byron area. So the lighthouse walk is really popular. And it was hard for her to yeah. um, even go and do that walk. And that was the, yeah. the reason that was hard for her is because it's such a... Um, way to catch up here with your friends, you know, and so she was missing out on these on these catch ups with her friends. And we worked a lot with her on on some core stability. And in spondylolisthesis in particular, um, you need to be mindful of not overworking the psoas muscle because that one um, will will pull the spine can pull on the bones of the spine forward even more. So it's about learning how to create balance with the other muscles around the spine. So, you know, your abdominals, working on your lower back muscles, quadratus, lumborum. Anyway, we're getting quite technical here. Um, but it's, I can see people <laughs> writing this down so that they can go and research so it it's, after. It's trying to get these, you know, this happy family basically around the lower back. And if you can have that awareness and support and take that into some back bends, some more gentle back bends, then that could be possible for you to do. Um, and be able, yep. you know, I think for her, for example, she, we worked together one-on-one for quite some time and, and now she knows how to modify, you know, yoga group yoga classes, they tend to self-select. So, you know, the people whose bodies are designed to do these poses more naturally are going to easily keep going back. But that doesn't mean that people whose bodies are not naturally designed for the range of motion that's required can't do yoga. It's about learning how to change the poses. So I'm not trying to change my body to do the poses. I want to change the poses so that I can support my body, right? So that then the poses become this environment for all this greater learning. So um, whether you're going to be able to do handstands Actually, I have some good news for you. Your spondylolisthesis oh, should not, in theory, affect your ability to do handstands. Well, that's true. I, I think I was just trying to bring in two <laughs> questions at once. Just to, <laughs> As I said, totally self-indulgent. I would love to go back to doing handstands, but, you know, I always wonder, is it the injuries it could be a number of reasons because I'm 44 and I don't have the same body that I used to. But um, is it the injuries that I have, for example, that that would stop me from doing some of those things? Because you look at Instagram and everybody's liking, and maybe not so much now, but let's say two years ago, every time you looked at Instagram is somebody else learning to do yoga handstands and then doing the the um, what do you call it? Reverse um, planche. Oh, I forgot what the thing yeah. was when you bend backwards and. 
And, and I look at that with envy and I think, is it just because I'm too old or is it my back that won't uh, allow me to do those things? But what you're saying, what I hear you saying is it's not about looking at poses and saying, well, I just can't do those. It's knowing what the limitations are because of, let's say, lack of structural integrity or the injuries and so on, and then working on the things that can be worked on in an individualized way and going back and approaching those exercises differently. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it is what I'm saying. You know, I think it's not about, it's not about how do I use my body to accomplish or perform? And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, that, that could be very fun. And I'm sure as a gymnast, you probably felt that, yeah. that that was really fun to be able to figure out how to configure your body in such a way to do these jaw dropping poses. Um, but I think that, yes, we got very obsessed in the yoga world with doing some of those, you know, jaw dropping <laughs> poses. And many yogis get to a point where they actually need those advanced poses in order to create these environments for the mental benefits. You know, it's almost like you get to a point where you can stand in a pose and, and yeah. it's just easy. Um, you know, so you do sometimes need these greater challenges. And that's the, the point of the advanced poses and also the sense of yoga being dynamic and it's there's a sense of um, evolution within your own practice in order to help you as a person continue to improve. But I, I, I think that ultimately for yoga to be a complement to your health and well-being, that it is what you said. It is about looking at the limitations of my body yeah. and respecting them, you know, and, and then saying, okay, well, those poses don't actually make me feel good. So I'm going to set those aside and I'm going to accept yeah. that and be okay with that. And I'm going to do the poses that really do make me and feel And I guess good. it comes back to the awareness of what, let's say just for me, what is my motivation and do I have to be competitive or exhibitory or whatever it is in this particular environment or can I find a different place in my being for yoga to fit in in a different way that maybe I'm not used to doing. So I, maybe I have to go back and do some deep thinking about why do I have the need to do a handstand? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. And I, I also think, you know, if, if you have that deep need to do a handstand, that could be really empowering too. the process of, I think that's why people are attracted to that inversion practice is because to, it requires dedication yeah. and effort. Um, it is not an easy pose. And when you put in that dedication and that effort, and then you can do that pose, that's extremely yeah. empowering. And for some people, that's the medicine they need, you know, they, that's what's going to help them in their life to feel that sense of like power and strength and confidence and um, yeah. belief in their self, you know? So, yeah, I think that if there's mindfulness and awareness as to why you're chasing what you're chasing and you can, you know, the other side of yoga, so I've mentioned that there's this non-striving side, but there's also the idea of practice and being committed and dedicated and showing up consistently is the other side. And so those two things really balance each other out. It's not that you're trying to kind of be nonchalant and apathetic. It's that you're saying, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to be dedicated. I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to look at my stuff. Um, but then I'm going to balance that with having this attitude of yeah. non-striving. You've probably worked out by now that I wouldn't describe myself as a yoga person, although I wish I was. But I think it's just based on the yoga that I've been involved with so far. And you've also highlighted the fact to me that I, as a person who hasn't yet been able to engage well with yoga, I need to look at my 
motivations and, and, you know, growing in the areas that I perhaps have personal weaknesses. But um, so far, I haven't seen any practice that particularly appeals to me. And I'm not a woo-woo person at all. And I, I don't have crystals and I haven't had my aura read and none of that appeals to me. Um, and I'm very practical. But when it comes to movement and exercise, for me, it has to be practical and functional and feel like it's doing something tangible. And I think you've answered a lot of this in what we've talked about already because it's already changing my mind as to what, and you'd mentioned earlier, yoga has a PR problem. And I think this conversation is already turning my mind in a different direction, that it, it doesn't have to be what we see in the media or what the common perceptions are. But how does someone like me find enjoyment in yoga and moreover the desire to do it and continually do it? And do you think it's just a personality thing or is it I've not found the right style of yoga or do you think there's a bigger picture here and maybe people like myself haven't been catered to well in the yoga world? Yeah, I think it's all of the above essentially. Um you know, yoga is not really meant to be a form of exercise, and it, it can be, and it has been developed and changed in a way to appeal to people who want that more fitness-based, fast-paced exercise, and that's more of a Western take mm -hmm. on yoga. And I came to, to yoga through power yoga, and, you know, it, it got me hooked for sure, that sense of just getting really sweaty and getting those endorphins and and that feels really good and you can walk away and feel like, okay, I just did something. But there's, you know, all these other styles of yoga and, and the slower styles that have these benefits that we can't necessarily feel as they're happening inside of us, you know, these, um, as we've spoken about in this conversation. So I think to find enjoyment in yoga, it is about finding a style that is right for you. And right can mean so many different things. You know, it can be, you know, maybe you're a runner and you get your exercise endorphins from there and all the other benefits of running. Um, and you need more stretching or you need to help, you know, yoga can help with recovery and be more of that. Um, you could be one of those people who are really flexible and you can actually use yoga, find a style of yoga that helps you to create stability in your body and, you know, have that approach. So I think it's about looking at, well, what is it that I want to get from my yoga practice? Why am I coming here? And then seeking out the the teacher. I think the teacher part of it is, is really important. And so on some level, yes, I think people like you are not the majority that are catered to, but I think that really is yeah. changing quite a lot. Um, and, and I think it's a little bit slower. Like we, I think yoga in Australia is a little bit behind. It's catching up quickly, but a little bit behind what we see in, mm -hmm. in like America um, or Canada. And so, you know, I think hot yoga and power yoga is, it was really popular here and now it's starting to change. And some of these other styles are coming in like the, the yin and the restorative yoga. So to, to summarize one is yes, looking at what, what am I coming to yoga for and how can I change my perspective or how can I have a paradigm shift around it that it doesn't need to be my exercise, you know? Um, and to then, to look for a teacher and a style. And I think when you have pre-existing 
things going on in the body is also seeking out a teacher who is aware and understands how to help you. And whether that's doing some one-on-ones first and then hopping into group classes or finding, you know, I think yoga is kind of becoming a little bit more underground again now where there's, there's these smaller classes that people are doing, they're renting little spaces um, and having a smaller group might be really beneficial at first in order to get that attention that you need. And yeah, I think the bigger picture too is is looking at yoga as as a, a way of of understanding ourselves, not just about flogging our bodies, but to be able to to use yoga as a tool for self learning and find that peace and that stillness too. Yeah. Note to self: mindset shift required. I think. <laughs> and look, so I can't blame it on yoga. I have to blame it on myself. <laughs> and look, at the end of the day, like you said, you know, not everything's going to be everyone's cup of tea, and we, that's fine too. I think people find people find other ways. You know, and I spoke earlier about the relaxation response. There's so many ways to bring that about aside from yoga you know some people like the runner zone can get you into that relaxation response um music playing an instrument or even um gardening or cooking or knitting like there's there's so many ways of of bringing about this same thing that yoga does so if yoga is not for you don't worry (laughs) don't freak out I haven't lost hope yet. I'm I'm going to have to re-engage and see what I can find. I think you are you are making my mindset shift around what I actually need it for. So I think it's a good thing. There's probably some practice that I'll find a lot of benefit from. I'm sure. Oh, you'll have to keep me posted. <laughs> yeah, I will. Let's just bring it back to you and your philosophy. What does it mean to you to be a yoga teacher, and what's your philosophy? both for your own practice of yoga and for how you teach others to integrate yoga into their lifestyle and as part of a greater health and well-being plan? I think first and foremost, I try not to be dogmatic in my approach to yoga. I I like to, um, you know, I think that there's a lot of benefits to a lot of styles of yoga and I like to pick and choose what I personally need. Um, before I had a child, I had a lot of time in my hands and I used to love practicing 90 minute classes. And now I just try to make sure I do my 10 minute meditation every day and a few poses in the evening to just reset my body after a day. You know, I have a toddler, so I'm still carrying a child quite a bit. Um, and so that's really my approach is, is using yoga as a tool to just help me stay healthy, to help me stay happy, to help me to de-stress, to keep balance in my body um, and, and use it preventatively to having been through injuries myself, you know, I want to make sure that I don't end up in those places again. So um, I think, as we've mentioned already, just having that a little bit a few times a week is really important to me and my philosophy for my own practice of yoga as well as others. And and that's key to integrating it into your lifestyle and and your health and well-being plan. And there's also this sense of um, almost like what you talked about earlier as a nutritionist and prescribing people, you know, with, you know, different things to eat or different supplements to take. And I think the same is true in yoga. It's almost like, okay, well, if you know that you have, lower back things or if you know that you have anxiety it's like you can come up with a list of maybe three or four practices and those become your core practice that you would repeat 
several times a week. But then you can also branch out and go and do, uh, you know, a longer class, whether that's, you know, at the moment, everyone's practicing at home. So 30 to 45 minutes is actually a long class yeah. to do at home. Yeah. Um, but to sort of not feel like you have to do all all of the practices or all of the poses, mm-hmm. I think if you can kind of free yourself from having to do it all or to be good at all of all of it and really and look at it and go, what's going to be the most beneficial to me? And let that be your sort of core practice that you come back to over and over again. And also to allow that to change as you go through the phases of your life, as I mentioned, you know, so when we're a bit younger and we're where we love, you know, those more challenging poses or exercises, we can kind of smash our bodies a little bit more and we we jump back much faster. You know, I'm also in my late 30s. So now it's like, okay, let's be a little bit more gentle because recovery takes longer now. Yeah. Um, In your mind, it doesn't, but then your body goes, hang on a second, I've got news for you. (laughs) And so to allow the practice of yoga to change, not just in your stage of life that you're in, but also because we are at home. And I think in the beginning of COVID, there was uh, a lot of people struggled with practicing at home because it just wasn't the same and they're they're chasing that same kind of practice or that same kind of feeling yeah. but we need to allow our yoga practice to be adaptable in the same way that our lives change yep. and and if we can allow the practice to change with us then that's when it's going to integrate well into a health and well-being plan that sounds like really good advice You've given us so much good advice today and and certainly for me, you've given me so much food for thought and changed my perception on a lot of things to do with yoga in just this one hour. But do you have any final advice for people who are wanting to practice yoga but have just not connected? Do you have one sort of final piece of advice or one thing that they can free their mind with or pivot with? One thing that I like to tell, I I do – I train a lot of teachers too. And what I like to say to them, I'll tell you what I say to them, and then I'm going to flip it on its head as my last piece of advice. I say to them that there are students for every teacher, because as teachers finish teacher training, they're also worried about there's so many teachers out there, how am I going to get classes? And you know, how am I going to actually be able to do this? How am I going to actually teach yoga? And so I like to say to them, there's there's students for every teacher. Mm. And the flip side of that, I think that there's a teacher for every student. So if you haven't quite found that practice of yoga yet, keep looking, keep searching, ask, um, ask around and you know, be really open minded and, and maybe go and try not the really popular studio down the road if you've tried that and that isn't for you. There's so many beautiful styles of yoga and people sharing what has worked for them and what they really love and resonate. And I think um, as much as we have differences as people and, and unique individualities, we also have so much in common. And so it won't be long before you find somebody that is sharing a style of yoga that works for you. Beautiful. And finally, Dana, if people want to connect with you, how do they get in touch or how do they find you? Um, so my website is danadiamant.com uh, and there's contact details there. And then I'm also on Instagram, danadiyoga, so D-A-N-A-D-E-E yoga. Thank you so much for joining me in this conversation. It's been very enlightening and fun and entertaining. <laughs> 
and I, I've got so much out of it. It's been a real pleasure to have you on today, Dana. Thank you so much for talking. Thanks, with Liz. Thanks so much. Yes, likewise, I had a really great time. Your questions were great. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you.